Well, I think they like you anyway, Jenny. That's something. Thank what a relief. Ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, I'm an absolute thrill. I can't tell you how excited I am to be sharing the stage with one of our greatest actors, and I think my favorite actor of all time, Derek Jacobi. No it's pressure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, when you, th when you think about all the great triumphs he's had, and they're all here, you know, it's a most wonderful recreation of Olivier's regime at the Old Vic when they were running the National Theatre there in the 1960s. But Derek also takes us behind some of his great triumphs as Claudius, and I think the definitive Serrano de Bergerac, if I may say oh, so, yes, Derek. Thank you. But as I would guess from the title, as luck would have it, yeah. I think your argument is that luck has played quite a part in your life, one Huge. way or another. Huge part. Um, I, I'm one of the luckiest actors you will ever, ever meet. Um, because actually, I've, I've never, I've been lucky, I've never had to hustle. I've never had to work the room. Things have kind of happened, and I've been there, or I've been asked, or, um, and right from my very earliest memories, the luck extended to my, uh, my life. I had the luck of having the most incredible parents, um, who were also my friends who supported me. I was an only child, East London, only child, nothing to do with the theatre. The family had no connection with culture in any sense, really. I don't think there was a book in the house. I never saw my father read a book. He read newspapers, but I don't think he ever read a book. Um, but when I announced that I wanted to enter a world that to them was totally alien, um, they were wonderful. They said, if that's what you want to do, son, you do it and we'll, we'll support you. And for me, the wonderful thing was that as time went on, um, they enjoyed and understood that world. Uh, one of my most thrilling moments was the day that they went to the theater in the West End to see a play I wasn't in. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. And I remember playing Edward II as an undergraduate at Cambridge, and my um, aunt and uncle, uh, who were even less educated than my parents, um, they came to see it, and they were so thrilled, they joined the local library, and they took out a history book of the reign of Edward II. I mean, it, it was, what for me was wonderful was that what I wanted to do, and the only thing I was any good at, was opening these fantastic doors to them. Um, and then in the course of, of my career, um, the luck continued. I mean, the luck of, of getting to university. Um, I, I, was, I was a bit of a swat. I wasn't particularly brainy. I was no Corin Redgrave who got double-starred firsts. Um, I got 2-2, which was known as the actor's degree. <laughs> uh, right down the middle. You weren't bright, but you weren't dull. You know, down the middle. And three years of, of acting at Cambridge doing the academic work as and when I could. Um, when you could fit it in. Absolutely, absolutely. And then um, getting into the Birmingham Rep uh, when I left in 1960. Uh, missing drama school, it was a decision uh, several of us took. Um, I, all Miss Contemporary with Ian McKellen. He's one year younger than me, so he was uh, one year behind me. Um, but making the decision, do I go to drama school, I'm, um, I'm 21, 22, um, or do I try for the profession? 
it was, in those years, easier to get into the profession. Again, luck. I was born at the right time. Um, I got into Birmingham. I stayed there for three years. That was my drama school. Um, four weekly rep for, for three years. Got through a lot of, uh, lot of parts. Then, one Wednesday matinee, I'm playing Shakespeare's Henry VIII. And we are not told that out front is Sir Lawrence, who is doing the round of the reps, looking for young actors and actresses to be part of the original National Theatre at the Vic. And uh, when we'd finished the uh, performance, there was a knock on the door. I'm sharing a dressing room with um, Cardinal Woolsey. And, <laughs> and I get out of my clothes very quick. And you know, I was in the full drag for Henry. The, the, the padding, the facial hair, the lot. Um, but um, Arthur, who was playing Woolsey, um, stayed in costume and opened his sandwiches. And uh, I used to leave and go to have my tea at the Cardoma. And anyway, there's a knock on the door. And Sir Lawrence Olivier came in. And jaws hit the floor, and, and he said to me, well, well done, well done, very good, very good. And then went over to Arthur and went on alarmingly how good he was. <laughs> and then left, and I was a bit miffed. Uh, and about 20 seconds later, there was another knock on the door. And the door opened, he came in again. And he said, you! Well, Henry! <laughs> and I said, uh, yes, sir, yes, sir. And because he hadn't recognized me, because I was out of all the drag. And then he went on a bit of alarming about my performance, which was lovely, and then sent me a letter offering me a job um, at the, the, in the second um, season at Chichester in 1963. And that company became the National and I stayed with the National till 71. So for the, f now this is luck. The first 11 years of my career, three years at Birmingham, um, eight years at National, I wasn't out of work. I never had to wait table. Um, when, when my um, National Insurance book came with all the stamps, I thought they were green shield stamps. <laughs> I'd never seen a National Insurance stamp. Um, that, that's incredible luck, incredible luck. And it's sort of, it sort of dogged me, you know. Um, I know you need a modicum of talent, and I know you need health and stamina, but you also need that luck in the sense of being given the opportunity to strut whatever stuff you've got to strut. And, um, and I've been given that opportunity in spades. So that's why it's called as luck. Well, indeed. Well, thank you for that. Let me take you back to, to Leytonstone, because you, you decided to become an actor when you were six. Mm. Now, as you said just now, your parents had no connection with the theatre. What made you think that, A, did you know what an actor was and what an actor did at that age? But what was your, how did it first occur to you? Well, it, it happened mm. because, as luck would have it, we live next door. Um, to a um, lovely lady who was a music teacher, and she taught me the piano. And it was her influence, really. Um, um, she was highly educated, and she um, persuaded me, she took me 
to the local library in Leinstone, and I joined the local library as a, as, a, as a youngster. And that particular Christmas, when I was six coming on seven, oh no, seven coming on eight, I think, um, they were doing a Christmas play, The Prince and the Swineherd. It was a dual role. <laughs> a prince who dresses as a swineherd to woo the girl and then reveals that he's a prince. Um, and that was, that was the first time. And, and also, my, my mother um, worked in, in a department store in the Walthamstow High Street. And apart from being the boss's secretary, she ran um, the drapery department. So I got lovely frocks. <laughs> I got all the best materials. And I think that also influenced me. I quite like the idea of all this dressing up. You know, and that with a, a natural inclination, I do believe that, that um, some of us, I think most actors are born. I, I don't think, you know, I said I didn't go to drama school. I, I didn't actually miss it because I had those three years at Birmingham. But I don't think a drama school teaches you to be an actor. I think you're an actor when you go into drama school. Drama school teaches you... Um, your strengths, your weaknesses, what you need to, to learn, what you need to forget. Um, but they, the, the spark you take is either there or not. Um, you take that with you. Um, when you go in and all the classes, you learn how to move, you learn how to fence, you learn how to speak. Uh, hopefully you learn how to think and feel. Um, but the spark... They can't give you or teach you that. I think it's there. I mean, how did the prince and the swineherd go down, Derek? Can you remember? Was it a, a triumph? Well, I'm in, it was the days before, um, and I don't now read the critics. Right. So, so I didn't read what the critics said, um, n nor do I now. Um, it, being an actor is stressful enough. Uh, you can uh, spare yourself the stress of that. But was it the applause you liked? Was it the attention no, you liked? No, never the applause, never the applause. Um, I've never been good with applause. Um, I, in, in fact, I, I was taken to task uh, by Sir Lawrence. I was, I was called to his office in, in yeah. Aquinas Street mm -hmm. all those years ago, uh, having been given my first leading role in, in a uh, Peter Schaffer one actor called um, Black Comedy. Uh, and I, took a, I had a solo call. Mm -hmm. And um, I find that all down for the who's best at the end of, of uh, the, the curtain calls very difficult. I'm fine when we're in a line and we're all saying thank you because we have to thank you because we've done it for you, but we've all done it. Hamlet can't do it on his own, um, but I had to come on on my own and I came on and I bobbed and went off and... And he called me to the top and he said, you know, uh, you've got to learn how to take a curtain call because it's an important part of the performance. You'll never be the actor I think you could be um, if you can't learn to take a curtain call. But I've never learned. But do you, and do you still, you say in the book that when you were appearing at the Haymarket, possibly it was breaking the code or whatever, and you deliberately avoided the front of house where the publicity or the production shots of you were, because you were, whether you were embarrassed or felt awkward just seeing yourself in that yeah. kind of area. Well, it, I'm neurotic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, those, those kind of things do, do, do worry me. They, 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 they throw me somehow. Um, they, I think because they underline the 
importance of it. They underline, uh, I, what am I trying to say? That um, it's, it's difficult enough actually getting up and doing it without the added pressure of expectation. And the older you get and the more successful you are, um, the expectation grows. Uh, people know who you are, they've perhaps seen you before, their expectation of you is much higher than when you were a young actor. Um, and pictures in front of the theatre, um, names um, ab above the marquee, that all adds to that sense of they're expecting something, they're expecting, and, and that adds a pressure. So I, 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 I sort of try and cut that out. But paradoxically, I, that's what actors want. Well, yes, it? it is, the great <laughs> paradox. My, my, one of my dear friends, um, Dorothy Tutin, God bless her, Dorothy had three categories of actor. Young and talented. Wonderful category to be in. Nothing to lose. You've got youth, health, vitality, energy, courage. Um, wonderful. And you're not the, the favorite in the race. You're a rank outsider. You can do anything. You can be full, full of courage and, and get there and try and win the race. Young and talented. The next one is experienced and successful. It means you've got work, you're making a living, maybe you've got a certain reputation, but it's working. You've chosen the right profession. You're experienced and you're successful. The third category, as you say, is the one you dreamt of when you were starting out, and it's called distinguished and acclaimed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the one that's the most dangerous because suddenly you are the favorite in the race. Suddenly people are putting money on you to win the race or come a good second. They have probably seen you over the years, so your ability to surprise is therefore limited, unlike the young and talented. So it's, it's uh, a dangerous category to be in, but of course the one that you, mm. you wanted, you wanted, you wanted. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a silly profession, <laughs> really, isn't it? But you, you write so affectionately about your family, and you had a sort of extended family in Leytonstone, didn't you? Well, it wasn't just your parents, it was your grandparents, aunts and uncles, yeah. various cousins, apart from cousin Raymond, who was rather jealous of you, I think. And that suggests to me that your parents and your family knew you were something special, knew you had something different <sighs> to offer. They, perhaps they couldn't articulate it, but they, they kind of started, if you like, that process of, you want yes, to please. There might be a grain of truth in that. I, of course, I was not aware of that at the time. Um, I was the youngster in the family, um, particularly with, with my aunt, because it, this, this was during the war. I was born in 1938. Uh, war broke out in 1939, so I, I, I was a war baby. My, my mother stayed in work in London. My father, of course, went off to the army. And my aunt kind of did the bringing up and she had the way it would sound Raymond, Raymond yeah. um, who was older than me and, and of course I was the little angel mm -hmm. you know <laughs> and as I wasn't her son she couldn't um, treat me as she treated her own son mm. I mean she couldn't smack me and do all that because I wasn't hers so I suppose I, I became the little little angel of the family um, um, and because I was an early child uh, but uh, were you spoiled? Do you think were you overindulged? Oh, yes, hideously mm. spoiled. 
Um, but but um, I, I didn't turn out spoiled. Um, I always thought we were wealthy, you see, because I always had pocket money. Uh, but of course, I, um, I must tell you a story. It's my favorite story of my mum and dad and money. Um, because I always had a pocket money, I, as I say, I thought we were, we were well off. We weren't. Um, they both worked hard all their lives and, um, and just saw that I had everything. Um, but when I was 21, um, I'm at, at Cambridge, and they gave a party for me for my 21st birthday in London. And they, they laid on a, a coach to bring my Cambridge friends to London um, and they mingled with my Leytonstone friends, and we had a lovely time. But I came up a couple of days early to help them arrange it all. And I remember arriving at home, and my father saying, uh, son, can you go down and, and get me the, the evening paper from the local newsagent? Which I did, and I came back, and I gave him the paper. Uh, and he said, oh, oh son, I haven't got any, I haven't got any cigarettes. Could you, could you go back and get me some cigarettes? I went back to the news agent, I got him some cigarettes, came back. They're both standing at the front door. I said, something wrong? And they said, Did you, didn't you notice anything on your way to the news agent? Uh, um, no. Um, any, any cars? Parts? Yeah, uh, yes. There was a red Ford Popular. Yeah, there was a red Ford Popular. Well, go and have a look at it. So I went and had a look. And on the steering wheel was a big silver key. And they said, that's your um, 21st birthday. Present. I said, how the hell can you afford a car on my 21st birthday? And they said, well, we've saved up 10 bob a week since the day you were born. The lowest burn in history. They waited 21 years <laughs> for the satisfaction of the expression on my face. <laughs> That's my parents. <laughs> and what was good was that they both lived to see you succeed in your chosen profession as well. Yeah, Mum got as far mm. as I could. Yes. Yes. Well, what? Um, um, very good place to bow yes, out, I'd yes, say. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, it, it was it was great, really, because um, I owed I, Claudius, so much, um, particularly the fact that within two years of, of Claudius, um, I was playing on Broadway. Uh, and if it hadn't been for Claudius, of course, I wouldn't have been. And so I uh, got them to uh, New York. They'd never been to America before. And um, I got them on Concord. They flew Concord to New York. And... Um, they stayed there for two weeks. They saw the show. They saw many, many Broadway shows. And they thought they were on the moon, on the moon. Uh, the producer was a wonderful producer who, who put them in her private plane. <laughs> and they jetted down to Washington, where the limo took them all <laughs> around Washington. And, you know, it was fantastic for them. Anyway, they then went um, back to England. And... Uh, about two, three weeks later, um, in America we do um, 
Sunday performances, Sunday matinees. And I, I'd done two shows on the Saturday, and so I was sleeping late. And uh, uh, eventually, uh, earplugs and all that, and eventually I heard a telephone ringing, and I picked up the telephone. And it was my dad. And all he said, and no actor could ever reproduce the timing, the emotion, anything. All he said was, hello, son. And I knew my mother had died, which she had, um, quite unexpectedly. Um, but, I mean, she got that far. He survived another 20 years. And uh, he came to the palace mm -hmm. on the investiture. So, <laughs> so he was all right. That's your British knighthood, not to be confused with your Danish knighthood, of course. Oh, no. You got the two. <laughs> I got the two. <laughs> Twice a night. <laughs> <laughs> Let me. <laughs> Let's go back that. The Birmingham rep, Olivier comes, Sir Lawrence comes to see you, and you get offered that work, you become a member of that company. Now, what was it, looking back, it seems like tremendous hothouse, all these ambitious young actors wanting to make their mark, mm -hmm. with Sir Lawrence as a kind of, you know, Henry V figure in a way, yeah. and all you guys kind of slightly vying with each other. Was it a very competitive time um, at the old break? Not um, badly so. It mm -hmm. was competitive in a very good way in that it released huge energy from everyone. Mm. He was a wonderful father figure to us, particularly to the young youngsters in mm. the company. I mean, he wore many hats, he had many faces. Um, he could be many things. He, um, he could be um, a benevolent um, dictator, um, or he could be a very harsh dictator. Um, but his, what he wanted was to nurture young talent, and he encouraged us. Uh, he, he, he gave us our heads. He, he was wonderful. He was absolutely wonderful. I mean, he, be, he was my mentor, my director, my fellow actor, my boss, and ultimately my friend. And uh, the, I mean, as luck would have it, there I was working for most of the 60s with him, Sir John, Sir Michael, uh, Schofield, Maggie, mm -hmm. Albert, you know, I mean, I mean, it was a feast, a golden, golden age. And uh, there was I and people like Ronnie Pickup, um, Charlie Kay, mm -hmm. uh, Johnny Stride, Ted Petheridge, mm -hmm. Tony Hopkins, um, Mike Gambon. Uh, there we all were, kind of drinking all this in. That's, that, was, that was luck. What was it like to act with him? What was it like to share a stage with him? Um, Oh, well, it was amazingly exciting, yeah. amazingly exciting. Um, because he, he, he sort of, uh, while he was acting with you, he was also testing you. He was also seeing if you could keep up, um, you know. Um, and I learned a lot from that. Ma Maggie's the same. Um, she, Maggie works at the, the speed of light. She thinks at the speed of light. Um, and you have to keep up. And he, he was the same. Um, because he was, our, he was our boss and he was Sir Lawrence, there was always a degree of deference when you were working with him. Like, you know, you were rehearsing, but you still called him Sir. Um, you wouldn't, even though there was a time when, you know, he would come uh, and say, call me Larry. 
no more could I have called him Larry than fly <laughs> to the moon. He was Sir, he was Sir. Um, but I, I do remember when, um, when we were doing um, Merchant of Venice, he was playing Shylock, and uh, I was Graciano. What none of us knew was that he was going through terrible stage fright. Um, he concealed it fantastically. And apparently he, he, he was suffering when he was doing Othello, the beginnings, the beginnings of it. And uh, Anyway, the, in the trial scene in The Merchant of Venice, there, there was a moment when my character, Graciano, has this huge diatribe um, uh, to Shylock. And he called me into his dressing room and said, uh, when you do that speech to me, don't, don't eyeball me. Don't look in my eyes. Look at my forehead, look at my chin, look at my nose. Don't look at my eyes. I didn't ask him why not. I said, well, of course, of course I won't look at your eyes. And I, and I didn't. And, um, and of course it was because, because years later I suffered it too. Um, if, if you do that, you, you, when you're suffering that kind of stage fright, you have to sort of defocus. De you have to switch off. Everything else is going, but, but don't... don't Take my focus, don't, don't because I'll go, I'll, I'll forget it, and I'll, and I later I realised that uh, that was what the problem was that he that he had very bad stage fright, and that must be awful when you are the greatest actor in the world, the most famous actor in the world. Also, we had very classy fame. I once um, shared a, a railway carriage, a very full railway carriage with him up to Bradford, where we were on tour. And nobody in that carriage knew that Laurence Olivier was sitting in the corner. And I think that's classy fame. <laughs> you know, acknowledge the greatest in the world, the most famous in the world, and totally anonymous in a railway carriage. That's class. But after your eight years, you decided it was time you were having, I think your expression was leave of absence or something. So you, That's you, how I put it. That's yes. right. So you, you, you summoned up your courage and you went to see him. Yes. Did you expect him to say, oh, no, please stay with us, Derek, don't go? Mm. Well, I think within mm. about three minutes, I was outside the door. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought he didn't put up much of a fight. <laughs> um, um, but, mm. I mean, he himself was about to um, leave the National. I mean, he, he um, uh, left uh, a few months later. Um, yeah, but, I, yes, I'd, I'd been in the hot house of the National um, since 1963. Um, we were encouraged to believe that we were the centre of the acting universe. Um, we were only too willing to believe that. But, of course, we weren't. There was a mass of work going on, or wonderful work going on, all over the country. Um, and somehow I suddenly thought... I. I I've been in the business now for 11 years. Um, you know, I haven't done television. Um, I want to go out and, and, and do other things. And uh, that was my reason. But I, I put it that a leave of absence because I wanted to leave one foot in the, in the job, you know. Um, but of course, the job wasn't there after a year because Sir Lawrence himself had gone. Yes. Um, but I mean, it, it was a decision that I, I never regretted. Mm. Um, it was wonderful. And, as luck would have it, <laughs> the first thing I did, leaving the National, um, was a film directed by one of the very few film directors who go to the theatre. 
Very few go to the theatre. This particular director did and was a fan of the National. Seen everything at the National. His name was Fred Zinnerman. And Fred was a great, great aficionado of the National. So he'd seen me kind of growing up. Um, heard that I, I was leaving. Offered me a job in a film called The Day of the Jackal. And that was my very first film and my very first job after leaving. And I kind of fell into it. Again, as luck would have it. That, that, that didn't require talent or whatever, or hustling. Or I didn't know that he knew about me at the National, that he was a great fan of the National. It was just one of those happenstances. And was it, uh, once again, they kind of took a bit of a punt on you when they cast you as Claudius? Oh, yes, indeed. I, I wasn't first choice. I was pretty close to the bottom of the barrel. Um, and oh, because because you see, the 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 uh, Claudius um, was owned by an American company called London Films, which was uh, the old Alexander Corder um, film uh, studio. And uh, of course, they didn't know who I was from a hole in the ground. They wanted um, a star to play Claudius. They, originally, they were going to be two: a young Claudius and an old Claudius. And the old Claudius, I know originally, they wanted somebody like Charlton Heston. Um, and I wasn't in his lead at all. Uh, but the fateful day came when they decided that uh, they wanted the same actor to play the young, the middle-aged, and the old Claudius. Um, and I was the actor that the director and the producer picked on because... I had worked for that director and that producer five years, six years before on a piece for the BBC Two called Man of Straw, where I'd had to age from a teenager to 60s. Um, they said, what about Derek? Um, of course, the Americans said, Derek, who? Um, so I had to go, they took me out to dinner in a, an Italian restaurant in, in Shepherd's Bush with um, a couple of representatives from London Films and my brief was to charm them into giving I Claudius to me. Um, well, I think that was the best performance I gave <laughs> uh, be because they ended up giving it to me. Um, and that kind of changed my life um, as, as, as a performer. I mean, actors long, I think, for just one part in the course of a career that they may become associated with. Some get more than one. I suppose a little peak in the range. Um, some get many. Some don't get, a, don't get the peak. Um, doesn't mean they're not good actors. They may be wonderful actors. But that one part that they become associated with. And I, Claudius was that for me. I, mean, I don't know if you've watched it frequently down the years. I caught it again during the summer when it was being repeated on BBC Four. And it is still fantastic. Even after, what, 37 years? 37 years, yes. It looks wonderful. Yeah. I, th I think that, well, that, is, that, is, that is certainly down to the writing. The writing is wonderful. Um, it's certainly down to Herbie Wise and his direction, because it was in the days when they didn't cut, 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 cut. They took a long time. They took their time, and scenes developed, and the camera went to... Brian Blessed, and then suddenly it was on Sean Phillips, and then it was, um, and it was it was wonderfully, wonderfully done, and it, it was a great cast. It was a great, great company, and we were allowed really to be kind of 
a theatrical company, and we were allowed to give theatrical performances, really, you know. Um, so it, it, in that sense, it had a lot going for it. We never, never expected it to have the, the success that it did. Um, I remember when we were filming one of the very early episodes, and um, it was the, the days when Sean was still married to Peter O'Toole, and Peter came to see one of the recordings, and afterwards he said, you know, the critics are going to hate this, but it's going to be a huge hit. <laughs> and he was absolutely right. The, the, to start with, when um, we started, um, when the first episode went out um, on, on the box, we were only on episode seven of 13. So we had all these to go. And the critics at the beginning apparently were very iffy, very iffy. They didn't hail it at all. And it was only gradually, as the series progressed, that it became, it became a hit. But they're a bit sniffy to start with, but Peter was absolutely right. Mm. It, it's the sort of thing you really can't do anymore um, it was all done uh, at the BBC. It was all done in the studio. Um, if you look very carefully, as you go from set to set, it's the same set, but the potted plants have moved. <laughs> um, um, the, the, the Colosseum was a 10-foot rostrum. We were all up there looking down with X marks on the, on the floor uh, for where we were to see the gladiators mm -hmm. and the cameras up our noses. So it looked as if we were in this, but we were in a, a tiny little studio with a rostrum. And you had it to spend, certainly playing a, a, the older Claudius, you had to spend about six hours in makeup yes. every morning putting this prosthetic ma mask yeah. on. It your was the early days horrendous. of prosthetics. Mm -hmm. and, and it did take a long time. It took, I used to have to get there at um, uh, 4 a.m. in the morning to get, start getting made up to be ready for 10 o'clock. But worth, yeah. worth it, really, in the end. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, I would, I would never knock it, never knock the Well, rest. absolutely yeah. not. Now, I see that time is marching on, so I think it's time I was asking for the house lights to be brought up and ask some questions, take some questions from the vast audience <laughs> who are out there in the dark. Now, there's that hand up there. I'll go back to you. <laughs> yes. You want to know if there'll be a third series of Last Tango in Halifax? <laughs> Um, they've said there will be next year a third one. Um, <laughs> um, uh, for, for me, it was uh, absolutely wonderful. When um, word came that you know, I, was, I was being offered the part of Alan, um, I kind of let out a little cheer and opened a, a bottle of champagne because I never asked to play that sort of part. I'm, I'm considered posh, classical, costumed. And there was Joe Bloggs, a Yorkshire Joe Bloggs, ordinary, ordinary man. And that, f for somebody who is, whose, uh, I suppose, reputation is Shakespeare and classics and, and posh things, um, there was this lovely, lovely character um, who just had to fall in love with Anne Reid. Um, you know. Um. <laughs> so not a very demanding role, then. <laughs> Anyway, some more questions. Just down here.
Yes, <laughs> apropos, you've, you're given your Leo, but uh, is that the culmination of your classical career, Derek, well, or have you got yes. more to, to give us? No, I, I, I hope not. I hope not. Um, no, you're quite right. Um, if you have aspirations to attempt the classical canon, um, you start with, um, you know, all the Jews, although I, I've never played Romeo. I played Mercutio, but never Romeo. Um, and you attempt your first Hamlet. You go through the Hamlet hoop, I call it. Um, and depending on the success of your Hamlet, how it's received by audience, critics, whatever, and the, the uh, literati, uh, you are invited into the, the classical club, um, in which, hopefully, you stay and prosper during the course of your career, um, knowing that towards the end of it, the Lear hoop awaits you, <laughs> and, um, and you'll have to jump through that and convince them that they were right all those years ago to let you into the club. Um, I always resisted Lear because I never, I never thought uh, I was old enough. I've, I've resolutely, and I think the profession helps, um, uh, it's a rejuvenating profession. I've never felt old enough. The one thing that has stayed young with me is my voice. Um, uh, I, I can age it, high, low, whatever, but my natural speaking voice has stayed young. And uh, I, th I thought, I'm, 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 not, I'm not Leo yet, I'm not Leo, until Michael Grandage said, um, look, you're, you're, you're 73, uh, um, it's about time you did it, because You've now got the age. I mean, Leah's 84, according to the text. We cut that line. Um, uh, but you, you've still got your, your physical ability. You've still got energy. You've still got vocal energy. Um, you've got to do it now. Otherwise, if you leave it much longer, you won't have all those things that you need to do Leah eight shows a week. Um, so I said, OK, yes, um, because I knew I wanted to, had to, and that seemed the best possible uh, time to do it, and location. I mean, we did it originally at the Donmar, um, although it was still eight shows a week, it was, it was pretty heavy. Then we, we toured it for eight weeks, and then we did it in uh, Brooklyn, uh, in America, for, for six weeks. Um, and I loved it. it. It nearly killed me. But, oh, um, it's, it's, I think that Hamlet and Cyrano are, are the three parts that um, I am most proud of in, 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 in my career. Um, and it was lovely to do a Lear uh, with Michael that really, really worked in its simplicity, its accessibility, um, and, and its, its hopefully emotional um, depth and emotional accessibility to the, to the audience. Um, I loved it. Any question from up in the circle? You're all very quiet up there, no? <laughs> yes, I see a hand up there. Yes. Yes, any plans to do another <laughs> series of Vicious? Uh, yes. Uh, the, it is going, it's, it's become known as the Marmite sitcom. <laughs> you love it or you loathe it. Um, but they are going to go again next year. Yes, um, it, it, it's rather funny because. Um, we did a Christmas special. They haven't yet decided whether it's going out Christmas Eve or Boxing Day. 
but it's going up one of those two days. And the last episode of Last Tango goes out on Christmas Eve. So on BBC, I'm married to Anne Reid. On ITV, I'm married to Ian McKellen. <laughs> <laughs> and a lovely couple you both made. <laughs> now, some more questions How about over here. Yes, the hand up there, in the red. R.S. who? <laughs> yes, yeah. and I agree with the lady who makes the point, your Benedict with Sinead Sh Cusack. Much ado. Thank you. Um, it, it, mm. it was a magical production. Um, it, 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 actually, I, I should have, I should have uh, um, mentioned Benedict with those other three because you, you know, I mentioned earlier about stage fright. And um, I, got, I got it uh, for a couple of years um, in, in um, the late 70s, early 80s. And I didn't go on stage. I couldn't. I was too frightened. Uh, catatonic terror. And I'm in Bavaria playing Adolf Hitler <laughs> uh, in a film based on... Uh, a, t a television film based on Albert Speer's Inside the Third Reich. And a phone call came from Terry Hans from the ISC saying, we'd like you to join the company next year. Now, I'd always wanted to be in the ISC and had never been, ever since the days I was in Birmingham. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And they said, we want you to do Benedict, Prospero, Pierre Gint, and Serrano de Bergerac. And I thought, if I don't take this is an offer, the offer that no actor could possibly refuse. And if I don't take it, I will never go on stage again. I've got to take it. Terrified though I am, I've got to do it. And Terry and the RIC saved my life again because I said, yes, okay. And the first one was, was Much Ado. And Terry did this beautiful production. It looked beautiful. It sounded beautiful. It was Sheer romance. Um, that's what it offered. Very, very little more, but gorgeous romance. And I remember the first night of that, uh, walking on, on a Ralph Coltai set, which was glass. And you looked down, the stage was glass, and you looked down, and you saw yourself upside down. <laughs> I was in high heels. <laughs> I, it was like acting in space. And I was frightened enough. And within seconds, my, my costume was wringing wet with sweat. Every pore opened. Um, but, I mean, I knew it backwards. I probably said it backwards that night. <laughs> um, but I got, I got through it. I got through it. And the next night, it became easier. It became easier. It became easier. Um, and so, so much ado had all those connotations, that it was the play and the production that actually got me back in the running, because probably without it, I don't know what would have, what would have happened. I don't know. Well, on that note, Dex, I have to draw the proceedings to a okay. close tonight. <laughs>
it's been a, an extraordinary event, ladies and gentlemen. Could I just join, ask you to join me in thanking the distinguished <laughs> and acclaimed Derek Jacobin?